let's jump in to First Timothy, and we're getting into the text this morning. So let's bow our hearts and just commit this uh, study to the Lord, shall we? Well, Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for this uh, study that we can undertake, Lord, looking at the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy, and Lord, just seeing how these things apply to our own lives, how they apply to this fellowship, and Lord, how you would have us be. Uh, Father, help us to have ears that are open, that will hear, and hearts that are ready to receive. We just give you this time now, and we pray you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump into chapter 1. Chapter 1 really is all about sound doctrine. And what we're going to see here (laughs) as we go through uh, is that Paul's going to emphasize that there are two aspects for somebody who has a spiritual role within the fellowship. Uh, One of those is that he must be a man of faith. And secondly, he must be motivated by love. Now, it's something we touched on in our introduction as well, but love is such a key ingredient. You know, if you don't have love and you try and enter into some sort of service within the church, you won't get very far, because very quickly we end up in that position where we count the cost. Um, And some of you may have been there, probably a lot of us have been there, where you you step out and there's a great enthusiasm at the beginning of any ministry. Uh, It's very exciting, it's very fresh. And then it gets tough. Then it starts to get a little bit harder. You know, you're getting up earlier on a Sunday morning to prepare or to do whatever you're going to do, or you get down here early and you're doing things. And, and suddenly it feels like nobody notices and nobody cares and nobody's bothered. Uh, and it can be a real strain. And whatever the ministry it is, I mean, even teas and coffees afterwards, you know, the effort that goes into just getting all the materials, the bits we need during the week and, and that kind of thing. You know, or putting chairs out or whatever it is. All those things make what we do as a fellowship. And it can get very hard if you haven't got love as that motivating factor. But when love is there, it's never a problem. You know, yesterday I undertook a project um, to build a um, thing um, for for the girls. They've got um, some Playmobil toys, and I said, you know what, I'm going to get some wood uh, so they can have it in their bedroom and set it up. And we've kind of painted roads on it, we put some grass on it and things, and we've kind of built it all up so they can put all their buildings on it and they've got a little play area they can play. Um, and I'll be honest, it took longer than I thought it would, because most of my projects do. Um, but it was good fun. Uh, and it was, it was kind of, at times it was stressful, and obviously they wanted help do it. So uh, you know what it's like when you give children paintbrushes. Um, it's not always as, as, um, uh, as fluid as you'd like it to go. Um, and we had a few challenges. Uh, and then when it got finally dark and we were putting things away, we got into the, Mother and I went out of the shed, and I put the paint down, and the lid came off, and the paint went all over the floor. But, you know, not at one point did I think, oh, why did I do this? Because it was for love. Because I love my children. And it was just great to do it. You know, and seeing the look on their face is kind of these things now finished and they know they can play with this and so on. You know, but that's what it's about. If, if love is driving us, you know, and, and it's got to be the love that God puts in our hearts, the love that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts, not just a, um, um, an attempt by us to try and love each other, it's not just a, kind of a, a determination. That's not really love. It's what God places within us that then overflows. And if that is the motivating factor, then whatever ministry we've been called to, we'll have the grace from God to, to carry on and that will be sustained then. And ultimately, you know, whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. We're not doing it for ourselves. 
And so Paul explains three responsibilities we're going to see as we jump into this in a second. Firstly, that whatever ministry, in a sense, we have, but you know, particularly uh, any kind of teaching element, we've got to teach sound doctrine. But you know, that does apply regardless of the ministry. Whatever we do within a church, we can still teach sound doctrine by, by the conversations we have with each other, by the way that we, we share with each other the things that we say. Sound doctrine is so important. We've already touched on this morning how the fact, sadly, lamentably, so many churches don't care about sound doctrine. They care about all the, the, the fluffy stuff. You know, it's nice and, you know, people can come to church and they can have cake and they can have this and they can have that and everybody's kind of lovely and, you know, that's nice and it's good that we have fellowship and I'm not decrying that. But, you know, if that's in place of sound doctrine to, to draw people along, there's something drastically wrong. Sound doctrine has got to be there. You know, and by doctrine we're talking about the things that Jesus taught and that were then uh, expounded on by the apostles and we read about in the New Testament. You know, and there's some clear teaching there. And it goes, you know, things about the rapture, things about Israel we've been talking about this morning, about Christ's return, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, spiritual warfare, all those kind of things. We need to have a grasp on those things. We need to teach about those things. And sadly, many churches shy away from any of those subjects because they're deemed to be controversial. Well, we're to proclaim the gospel. And the simplicity of the gospel. We had a, a great time at Bible study on Thursday evening and we were talking uh, at the end about the gospel. You know, uh, and that's what we should be doing. Any ministry within the church, we should be looking to proclaim the gospel. Uh, and the great example we have of this is in the book of Acts where we see those uh, with Stephen, those seven that are called out. They were just waiting on tables. You know, but what a ministry they had. And Stephen gets this opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the Sanhedrin, this most august Jewish body, this leadership of Israel spiritually. Stephen gets to go and present the gospel to them. You know, such a, a great example of how any ministry should be functioning, you know, regardless of whether it seems to be a menial task or not, well, these things still apply. And of course, the third thing is defending the faith. So we're going to see these things. Let's jump in. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Now, just to clarify, it reads there, um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God and Savior, comma, and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think that that's saying that it's God our Saviour and Lord, comma, Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's who Paul is referring to. That's who Paul is speaking about. Jesus Christ is our God and Saviour. It's interesting in the first verse though, that what we've got here is this statement that Paul is an apostle. He's been, been called to this role that he has by Jesus and it's by the commandment of God. Now, we're going to see a number of times that this is a, a Paul lapses into kind of military speak uh, in his conversations with Timothy, with Timothy. Um, and this is a military term that's used. You know, Paul was a soldier under orders. You know, it, it was by commandment and not by commission. <clears throat> it was a royal commission, but both Paul and Timothy were sent by the King of Kings. And this is, again, whatever role we have, 
We need to see it in that way. It's not something we just, you know, elect, I'll, I'll have a go at that, or I'll try serving in this way. You know, if we step out in ministry, and truly we are stepping out because God has called us, it really is that, that God has given us a commandment to do something. And as Paul is trying to get across to Timothy here, as we said in our summary, is don't quit. It's too soon to quit. Well, so for us, we will go through stages where we want to give up, where it gets tiring, where we think, hey, I can't do this, or I'm not qualified to do this. But we're not doing it for any of those reasons. We're doing it because we've been commanded to do it. And sometimes we feel totally inadequate for the task. Oh, that's always, in God's economy, it's always a good thing, because it's in our weakness, it's his strength. And we're told, he's our saviour, that God is our saviour, that Jesus is our saviour. And we're going to see that reiterated ten times in these pastoral epistles. Paul makes a comment on that. And then, again, Jesus Christ, which is our hope. You know, this is a whole letter of encouragement in a sense, but Paul starts it with that note of encouragement. That Jesus is our hope. Elsewhere we, we find that Paul talks about our blessed hope. And the reality is that Jesus is coming for us. And that should be the ultimate encouragement when we're in times of difficulty, times of stress or whatever. You know, we have a hope. It's not something that's, that's just a, a possibility. You know, I love that we, we're very familiar, I'm sure, with the verse from Jeremiah. Where we, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, and plans to give you a future and a hope is what a modern version say, and that's okay. But the King James says to give you an expected end. That's different. You know, to give you a future and a hope is a little bit kind of out there. You know, hope is going to turn out all right. What the text actually says is that God is going to give them an expected end. It's already done, it's signed, it's sealed. This isn't something that we've just got to wishfully uh, you know, hope might come to pass. This is something that is secure, it's guaranteed, it's sure. And that's the nature of our hope. The hope that we have isn't just a, a looking forward to something that might happen, it's the believing in something that will happen. Because God has promised it. And one day we will get to stand before our Saviour. We'll get to... Thank him for his blessings for us and we'll be rewarded for the things that we've done, for this commandment that we've been given. You know, whatever it is you do within the fellowship here, whatever you do in the broader sense for the church of Jesus Christ, all of those things God sees, Jesus sees, you'll be blessed and rewarded for those things. So, so don't grow weary, don't lose heart. As again we read, um, you know, Galatians, it, it, we, we shall reap in due season. Unto Timothy. Now, he says here, my own son. This is an expression that we see uh, a number of times. Uh, this idea that, he, that Paul has kind of adopted, in a sense, uh, Timothy. He's, he's, from a spiritual perspective, again, a lot of commentators think that Paul was the one who brought Timothy to Christ. Certainly, either directly or indirectly, that is the case. Um, and that, that Paul recognizes that in Timothy, there's a special relationship there. Um, and to Timothy, my own son in the faith, faith, grace, mercy, and peace. We see these together in the, the New Testament. Uh, grace and mercy so often, uh, you know, side by side. Um, but peace as well. And those two, or those three things are so essential for us. Grace, we, we need God's riches. 
at Christ's expense. I love the, the acronym we use for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And it is God's riches. God just gives us the, out of the abundance he has, he gives us the ability to, to stand, the ability to continue, the ability to serve, the ability to pray, the ability to wait on him, the ability to resist temptation. All of those things, if you try any of that list, and it's not exhaustive by any means, you try any of it in your own strength, you'll struggle, you'll fall. But when we try in God's strength, uh, later, Paul is going to say to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, just abound in this grace. You know, come to that place of realizing we have no resources naturally to do the things that we're called to do. Be it just live the Christian life or serve in ministry. We don't have the resources. You know, as I said, sometimes we start off in a fresh, we have the enthusiasm and the zeal and so on. And that doesn't get us anywhere. And just ends up causing problems and burns us out. <laughs> One Calvary pastor once said, there's no such thing as burnout in Christian ministry. There's just stupidity. And I kind of get what he's saying because, you know, that we should never get to that place in Christian ministry where we burn out because if we do, we're relying on our own strength, not on God's. God will never allow us to get burnt out. Other people may look at us and say, oh, you're doing too much. But, you know, if you are walking with the Lord, if you're doing that which God's called you to do, he'll always give you the grace. And, you know, overwhelmingly so, more than you need. You know, you end up blessed by, by doing more for God, not not less. But, of course, if, if God is calling you to things, he'll always give you what you need. And, again, mercy. We need mercy. You know, and I, I, I just... In the... Um, the Old Testament, a number of times, uh, we have the phrase that his mercy endures forever. Now, sadly, and I'm sorry to keep banging on about translational differences, but it's important. Um, because we've already seen that sound doctrine is something that we should, you know, stand for. Um, but in the Old Testament, we find that the, the, the modern versions and a number of songs, and they're great songs, but they talk about God's love enduring forever. Well, he does. No, not challenging that. But that's not what Scripture repeatedly says. Scripture repeatedly says that his mercy endures forever. Is there a difference? Yeah, a big difference. Because, you know, even for those who are going to be separated for God for eternity, I don't believe for one minute that God will stop loving them. Because I don't believe God can stop loving them. Even the people that have rebelled against him, that have turned from him, and that will ultimately spend eternity apart from him, I don't believe God's love will ever change for those people. But you see, for us, the mercy factor is the big one. Because I want to know with assurance that God's mercy will endure forever. I want to know that throughout all of eternity, there is never going to be a time that God's mercy would come to an end. It's God's mercy that allows me to stand and to proclaim him as my Father and Jesus as my Lord. We need that mercy, and we need to know that it endures forever. Love is great. Love is one thing. And God's love, of course, was what sent Jesus in the first place to pay for our sin. But this is a wonderful thing, the mercy of God, that it endures forever. And Paul, just reminding Timothy, and I don't think Timothy would have flippantly just read over this and just kind of skim read it. You know, sometimes you get letters or things and you, you, you skim read them. I think Timothy, knowing Paul's heart, 
knowing the relationship that they had, would have looked at this and read these things and seen some of the things that we're talking about now. You know, again, the, the, Paul is saying, you're, you're my son. And then he's saying, grace to you, mercy and peace. You know, despite the turmoil, despite all you're going through, peace. A peace that passes understanding, a peace that is beyond the natural, because it's from God our Father. Notice where the source of all of those things are. The source of grace is from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. The source of mercy is from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And the source of peace is from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And because that's the source, we can take great comfort in those things. And then Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So we get a glimpse now of what Paul had left Timothy and Ephesus to do, some of the issues that were going on. Uh, this is quite an instructive verse. It tells us that even this young fledgling church at Ephesus was struggling. There were people there, seemingly within the congregation, that were teaching things that were not true. They were not sound. They were not according to that which the apostles had taught, what Jesus had taught. No doubt some ideas, some overflowing ideas that had come out of Judaism and part of the, the things under the law that they were maybe instructed to do or to keep. But certainly we see that elsewhere in the early church, some of the problems that occurred. Even Peter gets caught up in that at one point and Paul has to rebuke him. But Timothy left here to go in and deal with some issues. No doubt, speaking to people that were older than he was. People that maybe had studied more than he did. But it's never about qualifications. It's about calling. You know, I always think this thing about ordination is quite interesting because, you know, we have men ordained by other men or women as it is these days as well. You know, or we have those that are ordained by God. I know what I'd rather. You know, I'd rather be ordained by God than ordained by a man. You know, ordination by man really doesn't mean an awful lot at all. Unless it's ratifying that which already has been seen to be what God has done. If clearly you see that God has called somebody and God has ordained somebody for ministry, well then it's good, it's right, it's proper that as a church, as a congregation, we pray for that person and in a sense ratify what God has already done. But man doesn't have the right to ordain anybody to ministry. And so often in denominational churches... You know, it's all about ordination. That's the big thing. Have you been ordained? Now, the question is, if you've been ordained by, by who? By a man? Oh, great, good. No, ordination comes from God. And Paul here, ordained by God, put in his place by Paul to go in and deal with these issues, regardless of whatever knowledge, experience, or whatever these other people would claim to have had, that Paul is leaving Timothy there to address some of these doctrinal issues, challenging people about what they believe, to charge them. Now, once again, that's a, a military term. It's a word, uh, sorry, it's a word that um, we find eight times in these two letters, and it means to give strict orders from a superior officer. You know, it's not that Timothy's going in and trying to set his own agenda here. He's going in on a mission as somebody who is a, a, a subordinate to someone who's over him. And not speaking specifically of Paul, but of Jesus. 
But Timothy has a job to deal with these issues. And it's not, again, off his own back he's going in and trying to solve these problems. He's going in to do a job that he has been commissioned to do, called to do by Jesus. And then he's told also, in verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do we have at the end. You know, the fables could be a reference um, to Philio, an outstanding scholar, a brilliant uh, Israelite, who took the Old Testament and spiritualized it. Uh, he introduced kind of lots of these ideas that kind of later got picked up. Um, and, and we have a lot of those kind of things today where people try to spiritualize certain parts of Scripture. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses that I spoke to yesterday um, started talking and they said, oh, do you, you, know, do you believe all the Bible? I was tempted to say, no, just the bits I like. <laughs> what does that mean, really? Yeah, I said, of course I do. I said, believe the whole Bible, cover to cover. Oh, so you, you believe that God created? So I said, yes, I do. And I knew where they were going with it, so I jumped in first. I said, I believe he did it in six literal days. Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter, though, because the word, interestingly enough, actually means it could mean the periods of time. I said, yeah, it could. The word yom in Hebrew, yeah, it could. But then God qualifies it by saying evening and morning. That makes it pretty clear. And then if you have any question left still, when you go to Exodus 20, God says, for in six days I made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. I said, so yeah, God said it was six days, so I believe it was six days. And I went, oh. You see, when people start trying to spiritualize Scripture, they soon come unstuck because Scripture will always defend itself. And there's always another scripture to give you that that qualifying verse to help us understand so that scripture is not down to private interpretation. But those fables, those ideas, those watering down really of the, the, the text where people started to say maybe that this wasn't real or that didn't really happen or... You know, no different than it is really today. Timothy's going in to challenge these things. Paul says, don't give heed to those things. Don't listen to them. Endless genealogies. Again, Ephesus was the heartland of the religions of the day. You know, we only got to look at what was there. There was the temple to Hadrian that was there, uh, the temple to Trajan, and of course the great temple to Diana. You know, all centered in Ephesus and all based on Greek mythology. So there was this mix of Jewish ideas and fables that had come through that way. There was all this Greek mythology. Now, I love Greek mythology. I love it because I see Scripture coming through. What, what happened, of course, is that from the time of the flood, we have after the flood, we have Noah and his sons, Shem, Shem Ham, and Japheth, and these individuals become revered. I mean, for a start, they were a lot older, and they, they, they live for a long time. You know, um, Japheth, uh, sorry, Shem could have lived easily to the time of Jacob. Jacob could have even met him. We don't know whether he did. It's kind of irrelevant. But, you know, these people that they had heard stories about, the legend of the flood and all those things, but they were living for a long time after the flood. And so they started to get revered, and some of them started to get worshipped. And as the stories got retold by children and to their children and to their children, there was twists, there was changes. And then stories of these gods coming down and so on. And the, the relationships between the gods and the women of the earth and so on. I mean, it's just a follow-on from Genesis 6. 
And there's a, a great book, fantastic book, um, The Two Babylons by uh, Alexander Hislop. It's not an easy read, but it's a wonderful book. If you want to join history together in a coherent sense, I really encourage you to get a copy and read it. Um, what Alexander Hislop does with lots of documentation to show his sources and everything else, it shows that all these religions that came along and Greek mythology and everything else was all drawn out of what we have in Scripture. Jupiter, the, the Roman god, was just a derision of the, the name Japheth. You know, and we can look at all of those other names of these gods and deities that were worshipped. You know, Diana, the, the one that was worshipped in Ephesus, is really just a, a subset of coming all the way down from Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, and so on. And it's a fascinating uh, study historically to join these things together. Um, we won't take any more time on it now. But that was the culture in which... Paul is sending Timothy to deal with this kind of issue and so on. So there were all sorts of individuals, no doubt, within the church and around the church at Ephesus. And so Timothy's going in, and Paul says, don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies, don't listen to them, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do, you know, we can spend a lot of time trying to address and argue those issues and those points and so on. And of course, there is there is some merit there, but... It gets us away from the really important thing of godly edifying. You know, it's not about giving people information. It's about giving people spiritual food. And that's what Paul was trying to do. That's what we should be doing each time we, we get together. You know, and, you know, it's not about when we come together entertainment or any of those things. It's about understanding, enlightenment from God's word as we come together. Again, Ephesus wasn't an easy place to minister. And we read from Acts 19.10 that uh, we know that the city was known throughout the world because of this lavish worship of Diana. Uh, and Paul had done a, a great work there three years or so before this. Um, and we read in Acts 19 verse 10 that all they which dwelt uh, in the province of Asia heard the word of Jesus. Paul had been very successful in preaching the gospel. And so Paul wrote this letter from Macedonia while Timothy's in Ephesus to encourage him, and in a sense to give him some management advice, how practically to deal with these challenges he's facing. You know, the idea of uh, heterodoxy had infested the church, legalism and speculative theology, uh, again based on these myths and genealogies. Um, and really there are two basic issues that face all believers. There's our creed, what we believe. That's interior, that's inside. That's what we really personally believe. And there's our conduct, which is the exterior. And these are two factors. These were the things that Paul was also uh, encouraging Timothy to deal with. And then he says this, and this is where we, we looked, uh, we talked about it a little while ago. Now the end of the commandment is love. This is one occasion where I don't like the King James translation. It should be love. Uh, in the text it's love, in the Hebrew, uh, sorry, in the, in, in the Greek, in the New Testament. Um, that's really a pullover from the, um, uh, the Vulgate. But now the end of the commandment is love, out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. You know, we said a little while ago how important love is. Uh, this, this sums it up. I mean, Peter and um, James all highlight this as well. You know, and a pure heart, of course, in contrast to the old nature. Conscience, 
Well, simply means to know, con with science being knowledge. Uh, 21 times Paul in these letters and six in these in the epistles uh, will use that phrase. You know, it's possible to sin against the conscience. And this is a worrying thing because your conscience can become defiled and then it can become seared like scar tissue so that it doesn't become sensitive. You know, I'm sure that there's this time, you know, if you've ever, if you've got scars at all, you kind of lose sensation at that point. I remember when we were not long after we moved in, I was um, doing some chiseling on some bit of wood, and I, for some reason, had my hand there, and the chisel was here, and you can see what happened. The chisel slipped, went through there, and I, I've got this little bit on my thumb where um, there was a bit of a flappy bit of skin, and so I just bandaged it and taped it up and carried on working like you do. Um, but th- it's, there's no sensitivity there now. Um, but that's what happens to our conscience. If we allow things to affect our thinking, if we allow sin to permeate and, and we don't deal with it. Paul says to Timothy that our conduct and everything else, what we do should be out of love, out of a pure heart. It's the contrast to the old nature, out of a good conscience, where nothing is hidden before God and of faith unfeigned. You know, love is an active concern for others. Again, it means that we won't gossip about them or in any way bring them to harm. It's a great place to leave it this morning. Uh, let's go and fellowship uh, with the teas and coffees and encourage each other for this week ahead. Let's bow our hearts. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We do thank you for your love, but Lord, we thank you that it's your mercy that endures forever. Father, we thank you for the peace that we can have in you. We thank you, Lord, for this reminder that we are to keep going and not quit. That, Lord, there is a great hope that we have, that we will receive reward from you one day. Lord, that we will reap. Lord, help us not to lose heart. And, Lord, in whatever gifts or ministries you have called us to, Lord, within this fellowship or, Lord, within the body of Christ, Lord, we just pray that you give us the grace that we need to serve you. And, Lord, that love. Lord, give us that pure heart. Lord, not in any way, Lord, hankering after the things of the old life. Lord, a good conscience, Lord, a clear conscience where we are clean before you. And give us, Lord, again that grace and that strength we need to stand for you. Lord, watch over us and keep us safe, keep us close to you, we pray through this coming week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. Richly bless you. Carry on reading the rest of chapter one. We shall pick it up from there next week.